Welcome to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show. I'm here today with Saverio Russo from Billion Bees Foundation. Billion Bees was established in early 2020 as a foundation dedicated to the restoration and conservation of Australian bees in our community. Uh, but first of all, I'll, I'll, I'll let um, our guest uh, fill us in more about that. But um, to begin with, thank you and, and welcome, Saverio. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure. So, Saverio, can you tell me how Billion Bees got started? Yeah, look, it started with, um, uh, believe it or not, it was my four-year-old back then, two and a half years ago, uh, he used to call himself the barefooted insect man. And he was just fixated and crazy about insects. He was always barefoot in front of our place. We've got a reserve. Behind our house, we've got another reserve. And he was always in there just experimenting with lots of other, you know, insects. And for his birthday, I wanted to get him uh, some insects. And I looked at uh, getting some ladybugs. They were the only ones I could find that were $30 for 30 ladybugs. And then I thought, you know what, um, no four-year-old wants, I was gonna do two things with these ladybugs. You either um, you get them and you put them in captivity in a tank and I didn't want him to do that. Or you release them in the garden. Uh, we have a little veggie patch. And I thought that no four-year-old once a present that lasts about four seconds. And then I remembered um, going to an Aboriginal workshop and that's where um, in 2019, that's when I found out about the uh, stingless bees that Australia had. So I made inquiries and lo and behold, uh, there was a colony available not far from where I lived. So I went and got it and uh, it was just incredible. Just wish to, uh, put them in the front of the porch here and just have a cup of tea and just watch them go in and out. And then after about three or four days, I thought, no, I bugger this, I need some for myself. So I went and got another five more for myself. And then five became 16. And within about uh, five or six months, I think I had about 30-something hives. And my wife then thought that uh, here comes another problem. I tend to sort of deep dive um, into passions that I like. And this became another one. So once we saw, you know, I, I mean, look, I just couldn't get enough of these bees. And um, I, I started to think, well, is there, is there some sort of conservation or is there a foundation that I'd like to get involved with? And uh, there wasn't. So I called my accountant and I said, how do we set up a foundation? And he's, he said to me, mate, you don't want to go into a foundation. There's a fair bit of work. And I said, that's okay. Anyway, he... To help out and uh, lo and behold in uh, 2020 in January we opened up the um, we set up the foundation it was you know opened by then uh, and it was a little bit disheartening because it was right in the middle of the uh, the black summer bushfires of the 2019 and 2020 which I thought geez you know the timing was uh, impeccable um, and why a foundation? Like, why not just continue growing your number of hives and uh, uh, working on them yourself? Why did you feel? Why did you feel you needed to set up an organisation, a foundation? Uh, well, when you when you're uh, uh, approaching people from a foundation for non for profit, it doesn't uh, look like it's it's a pushy subject, uh, and genuinely, people 
gravitate a lot better uh, and it's more genuine. And, um, you know, if you set up a foundation, you get people more connected and you get uh, faster, you get a lot more momentum with it, a lot quicker. Uh, and also there was um, an association, but um, look, the association was generally just, you know, a, a couple of people that were already interested in the stingless bees, but it wasn't really spreading the word as much as I thought it could in order to capture the wider audience, the people that didn't know about the stingless bees. And like I said, in 2019, I didn't even know that, or 2018, I wasn't even aware that Australia had stingless bees. Right. I don't think you would be alone there. I think uh, it's, it comes as a surprise to many uh, uninitiated people. Yeah. Um, and they're all, they're all natives, right? Correct, yeah. Yeah, great. Um, so when you said that the foundation makes it easier, and I can understand what you mean there of a non-profit, makes it uh, more approachable, what was it that you wanted to be able to approach other people about? Was it about the expansion of, um, you know, people getting involved and having uh, stingless beehives, or was it more than that? Uh, well, look, when I started to learn a little bit about stingless bees, um, to be quite honest, there wasn't many people that were willing to share information. And it, it's still a, like a little cottage industry. So people are still harnessing their little secrets. Uh, and as a beginner, you get some generic information now on online and YouTube, but it's still not very connected, meaning not all the people are working together to sort of move in one direction. And when it's like this, you get really slow growth. The industry doesn't get the awareness that it deserves and the, uh, the stingless bees suffer. Right, right. Um, so how long did it take you and, and was it, I mean, without going into exact figures, was it an expensive operation time-wise and money-wise to set up the foundation? Uh, look, you've got to jump quite a few hurdles to do the paperwork and to get it right. And the accountant told me that. He says, look, it's not going to be that easy and it definitely won't be that cheap. Um, and also to get the foundation up and running, uh, look, my family had to invest, you know, considerable, well, a fair bit of money to get it going. Uh, and in order to get people interested and serious, you've got to have some sort of uh, a start, meaning you, you, you need bees, really, and you need a, a project that has some sort of depth. And people were talking about, you know, let's do something nice and let's do something with about 100 schools or 100 hives. And, uh, you know, when I looked at it, I said, no, it's got to be something decent. And we wanted to propagate 10,000 hives. Um, and in order to do that, you, you need some sort of um, a plan. You need some structure. Um, and the foundation give us that, that basic, found, uh, you know, a startup to sort of calculate a, um, a destination, so to speak. So we know where we are now, we know where we want to be. And once you have that in place, then you can start planning. And look, the industry has been going for well over 40 years. We have more um, amateur beekeepers, stingless beekeepers, but the industry as a whole hasn't grown one bit. Um, and that's where we need to 
you know, I know I'm speaking from a conservation point of view, but if the industry works together, the people that can make a difference are the mum and dads as well. Um, the foundation alone won't do, a, you know, a big difference, but we need everyone involved. And by getting the mum and dads and the schools and the kids, uh, and if they, if these people can get readily um, information available without people feeling threatened, um, it just makes that awareness that much easier and the transition for people that don't know much, just a lot more comfortable. Hmm. Um, I imagine an organisation like yours would rely on uh, on volunteers. I mean, you cover areas I see from your website, uh, rescue, education, pest advice, a supply of actual beehives and, uh, and education programs. Um, that would require quite a bit of um, people, people power. So um, I, do you, how many volunteers do you have uh, currently with your organisation? Oh, look, I mean, there's, there's quite a few volunteers and there's a lot of potential volunteers that do want to help. But unfortunately, um, look, it's a fairly specialised field because you can't get someone that does know much about the stingless bees to tell them to go and do a rescue. It's got to be done by people that have some sort of degree of knowledge and expertise. Uh, so the foundation, you know, even though we can have, like, some people doing some basic work, like we've got the Manship, for example, which they've been fantastic. Um, and they've been an integral part of this foundation because they, they're building the hives. Um, and look, I mean, we also have uh, some teachers in schools that do have like, quite an extensive knowledge. So that can actually help out with educating in uh, some of the little workshops that uh, we are doing. We are gonna roll out a, uh, you know, an education program for the schools. Uh, but there's also other foundations similar. Uh, they're more for wildlife in general, um, that they are touching a little bit on the stingless bees. Um, but again, yeah, look, it's, it's an industry at the moment that everyone likes to know about it, but with certain deliveries of the programs, you need some sort of expertise. Yeah, yeah. Though I imagine there'd be some people who'd want to at least uh, make contact with you um, support you in other ways and then uh, find out even what they'd need to learn to, to do some of these other um, services like rescue and things that require a bit more expertise. So, um, you know, the website does give you contact details for that, um, billionbees.com.au uh, on the support us section um and you have a, a mobile number and some contact people as well there's yeah. also uh, donation uh, options there as well um the government funding is that continue i see you you have had some government funding mainly uh, firstly from the bush sire uh, recovery um, yeah. do you have ongoing uh government funding for the foundation yeah look look just before i go on the funding um i forgot to mention about the volunteers where we've really benefited a lot what is um, are the farmers, the ones that, especially down in the uh, up in the northern uh, rivers and just above the border of Queensland, New South and Queensland border, uh, we've got now you know an extensive list of farmers that are biodynamic or organic that are more than happy to host some of their rescues that we need bees now. We've got quite a quite a few colonies now that need to be moved. Uh, in order to actually survive this winter. Uh, most of them have been rescued from floods. 
And uh, thanks to these farmers, they've lent their land now where we can put 20, 30 colonies in each uh, block, in each of their uh, land. And that's made it possible now to actually uh, further our commitment to the, um, to the project. Fantastic. That's yeah. great. How many farmers would you say? Uh, 17. No, that's fantastic. Wow. Um, I guess there's, there's more consciousness um, or awareness coming about the importance of bees, especially now that uh, the Varroa mite has, um, has arrived and is, uh, well, we'll see how, how it, uh, it, it, it gets managed. But um, I do believe that while it doesn't affect the native bees directly, it does carry viruses that do affect those bees. So, I mean, is that something that's of concern to you? Well, look, I mean, it's always anything that comes and it's not here in Australia, when it does come, you know, um, it's always a, a, you know, a concern. What was funny was that the scientists uh, about a year ago, they were saying that the stingless bees uh, or the native bees uh, are okay uh, from the Varroa. Now that the Varroa is here, uh, no real scientist is, starting to, is actually putting their hands up to say, hey, it's, yeah, the, don't, don't, don't stress, the stingless bees are actually okay. No one knows that now. Um, and it's a shame how, uh, you know, I, I personally think that the, the horse has bolted. And, we, I mean, it was only, it was inevitable that we were going to get it anyway. Um, you know, you can't keep something like that away forever. And, you know, I just would like to see less chemicals uh, being used and rather than just sitting here and acting like as if we didn't know this thing existed, there are a lot of papers that indicates that we can treat it uh, and, or sorry, we can manage it rather than just treat it and kill every living thing that comes near these uh, baits that they're gonna be putting out. I mean, that's a tragedy to be honest. I know the DPI is trying to do something about it, but we've got so much data to learn that we, we have available from other countries that have had it for 30, 40 years. Now, I'm just worried, you know, why haven't we tried to look at that avenue and just go to, you know, 100% just demolish anything in its sight? I mean, that's a little bit, a bit naive, to be honest, and disappointing from my, you know, from my personal view. Yeah, okay. So um, is there evidence that you know of, of alternative methods that do work? Um, well, look, it goes back to natural beekeeping. Um, and if you're talking to the commercial growers, the commercial beekeepers, uh, they're frightened now because they know they could potentially lose, uh, you know, a lot of their colonies. And if you're an almond grower, now you'd be really worried because all of a sudden, uh, you know, for many, many decades, there's been models where, you know, if the farmer, uh, and look, there's two types of farmers. Uh, there are the natural organic growers, and then you've got the commercial growers. Now, the commercial growers, unfortunately, don't, you know, they're chasing more the dollar, and they're not looking at the long-term sustainability. Now, there are many uh, organic growers where they've got bees, uh, and this is in Europe, and in America, and if the hives are kept healthy and strong, where we don't try 
to maximize that yield and trying to get that extra kilo or two of honey uh, and leave them to be healthy and safe, they can handle the varroa. Um, it, it's mainly the internet, the you know, the commercial growers that are just, you know, they're looking at uh, quantity. And from me looking at from a commercial perspective, uh, you know, nature is not intended to work like that. Like we're human beings and we're trying to perfect nature that has had an opportunity for thousands and thousands of years to perfect. And there's an imbalance, and that's what's happened now. So the varroa now might start to realize to a lot of people say, hey, you know what, we might have to change these practices. It's not sustainable. And we can't keep putting poison, not just for the bees, but for ourselves as well. So um, quite apart from Varroa, you have, uh, or the organisation has dealt with uh, better methods of, of pest control. Um, well, is that, does that involve education on alternative Alternatives to some of the chemical or, or more toxic chemicals that are used in pest control that might affect bees? Uh, well, look, I mean, we've had quite a few farmers that wanted us to, to you know, host our bees with them. Uh, but it, it's a no-go zone for us because even for the commercial beekeepers, they know and they charge a fair bit because when they get the bees back, they'll never have the same numbers. And in fact, they'll be very weak if not... They lose, a, a, look, I'm not sure exactly on the percentage, but it's substantial enough to actually have to put a, a yield on the actual charges. Um, and equally with practicing um, beekeeping, or stingless beekeeping, uh, you know, I just don't see why we need to always push the envelope. Now, for 30, 40 years, a lot of people have been doing this um, process called splitting, where essentially you've got a, a strong colony and then you split it in half and you make two weak colonies. Now, when the bees go through this uh, traumatic experience, they release these pheromones and this is what the pests get attracted to. So the pests come in and, and there's a likely chance that you're gonna lose one, if not possibly two hives. Now in nature, when there's a colony in a tree, you know, if someone doesn't come there with an axe or a, or a saw to cut the tree in half or the log or, you know, the branch, they actually propagate a bit slower, but you're working with nature. Um, and we're still talking about it, and even some of the scientists are saying, well, that's, that's okay. And, well, it's not okay. And, you know, like, I mean, we don't try to push people to do what we're doing. Uh, but because we're a not-for-profit, we put the bees first. And our purpose of the foundation is giving nature back the upper hand. So for us, it's all about the bees first. And look, there's an old saying that if you look after the bees, the bees will look after you. Uh, even with, uh, you know, talking about pests, uh, everyone, that gets a stingless beehive, they always ask that question, oh, can we extract honey? You can extract honey safely, um, but depending on the season. Now, there's a gentleman called Bob Luttrell. He's invented this, um, these honey frames that has revolutionized the process of um, collecting honey safely without killing bees and without 
giving that distraught where they released the, uh, the pheromones to attract pests. Um, and since he, he actually started to manufacture these frames in 2016, you know, the industry hasn't got behind it. And again, you know, it's, I don't know why, to be honest, um, but again, going to a cottage industry, instead of working together, they still doing, everyone is doing their own little thing. So there's means of us looking after the bees a lot better. Now, obviously people can do whatever they choose, but there's a reason why we have chosen a particular hive design, a particular way to propagate. Uh, and if it takes a little bit longer, we don't care. We're just more, we're just there for the bee uh, and the bee comes always first. So, I mean, I think that's the hive that you showed me, which was uh, on display there, which had that uh, centrifuge to extract the, the honey from from the cartridges rather than the method you were explaining, which is like to smash it and, and traumatize the bees. Is that is that what you're speaking of? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, they call it smash and strain. You're right. And, um, you know, like there's been tests done where you lose anywhere from three to 600 bees every time you make this process and it's messy. Uh, you contaminate the honey. Uh, and Bob has designed the system where you, you know, you can extract the honey really quick without causing stress and it's pure. And it's so easy that to do, you just think why hasn't this process really been, um, you know, accepted by the industry? And it's, you know, obviously the industry is not ready for this, but you just got to keep going and, um, you know, educate the mum and dads because a lot of them want to do what's right, but they don't know. And Bob hasn't sort of marketed his products that well, I think. Uh, you know, he's more of the inventor and the scientist sort of thing. Um, but again, like there are a lot of people doing some beautiful things there for the bees and Bob's definitely one of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's good he's got you guys behind him now, um, supporting him. Hopefully things will uh, start to take off or, or get a bit more momentum now. Um, you, you were also um, recently featured on, was it the 7.30 report, report on the ABC? The B&Bs did a story on that, is that right? Yeah, we had a, quite a few on the ABC, actually. We also had a live segment uh, at midday, which um, oh, we had a 7.30 report one. I think it was a 7. I can't even remember now, to be honest. But we had about two or three TV interviews that, um, and they really, um, you know, embraced the, um, the foundation. Um, and it was particularly during the bushfires, which, you know, that was where we got the grants from the federal government. And um, we're going to be propagating bees all along the east coast of New South Wales and um, in Queensland. Um, like we lost 24 million hectares due to that black summer bushfires. Uh, scientists still don't know, you know, exactly the extent of the of the damage. Um, and you know what was a little bit disappointing during that presentation that I did. Um, at the Stingless Bee um, foundation, uh, not foundation, conference, yeah. Um, you know, some people were worried that perhaps we're releasing too many bees, that 10,000 bees will be too much. Uh, and what's, what I'd love to see is a few more of the scientists, instead of, you know, concentrating too much on the pollination, in particular with macadamia nuts, let's concentrate on studies 
Uh, look, they know exactly how many hogs to pollinate per hectare. But what's crazy is that we don't know the actual numbers per hectare in the wild. Uh, and, you know, that would be something really worthwhile doing because then we can start evaluating exactly the damage uh, of these bushfires and what we need to do. Mm. What, what would be the minimum? What would be the maximum? Right, yeah. Um, did you uh, get some good responses after your uh, your talk at the conference? Yeah. Oh, look, it's definitely uh, always worth going to this because you get awareness. There are a lot of people doing some really nice things there. Um, again, there's a, some really nice scientists which I really enjoyed and some of the council guys doing some incredible work. Um, I just like to see, you know, and this is just my personal experience, uh, opinion, you know, it was like 75% of the state of the talks were all about pollination and, um, you know, there's a little bit more we can do out, out of those scopes that uh, I'd love to see a little bit more of and in particular working more with the natural resources what we can and what we have available. Uh, and we don't want to do what we've done with our land mammals, where Australia is responsible for 10%. Actually, we've got the, we're the flag bearers for extinction. You know that? Yes, I had heard that it was not a, uh, a proud record that we have there. No. No, well, 10% of our land mammals are extinct since colonisation. Uh, and we, like, we definitely need to really lift the game up and, uh, you know, everyone has to play their part. So the industry will survive uh, by looking after our, our natural resources first. Yeah. <clears throat> Having just gone through NAIDOC week, have you uh, had any input from um, some of the Indigenous Australians with regards to the, the management of native bees? Yeah, look, we're working with the, um, the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council and uh, we've got quite a few programs now um, starting with these guys uh, fairly soon and working with these elders slash rangers. Uh, I mean, they've been handling the bees for thousands of years. And, you know, I mean, the reason why they actually had the bees were not just from uh, eating the brood that gave them the protein, but um, it was a, a means of, the children, that was like their corner shop treat. So if the kids were good, the Aboriginal people would go in and grab them that little bit of sugar hit from the honey. Uh, but they never completely destroyed the colony. They only always took a little bit, marked the tree, and they knew that if they didn't take too much, that colony will still be healthy for the following year. They can take a little bit more again. So their sustainability was always spot on. They never, you know, it was always just bare enough for the today not worry about too much for tomorrow yeah 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 that's great um it's often the case yeah. uh, <laughs> a lot to learn from uh, our indigenous um look what we really want to focus is on educating the young guys the young people and it's the school kids that really are really important to us because they're the ones that are going to make the biggest change so with the school programs and the education programs that you are running, I imagine you're getting a lot of interest from the kids. They love insects and they probably love bees, right? Yeah, well, look, I mean, um, some of the programs, like there's two types that we do, a 15-minute introduction uh, or an hour. 
And every time they pick 15, we don't charge for the 15, but it always ends up going over an hour because the kids, the teachers can't believe how engaged the little ones are. And we try to warn the teachers, but they don't believe us until they see it. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, and they're not scared either, right, of getting stung? No, because they're stingless. There's no allergies. There's nothing, you know, and they become the best pet. Uh, you know, it's the only one of the rarest pets where the least you do, the better they are. Oh, well, look, um, it's, I'm glad to hear that, in, and citizen scientists all around would be glad to hear that uh, your foundation, Billion Bees, has, uh, has really taken off and been such a, a success story. And we need, uh, we need guys like you with the enthusiasm that you bring to it all to keep these programs running. So thank you for all of that. And uh, thank you very much for your time with us on Citizen Science, Averio. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Damo. And you keep doing what you're doing. Awesome. Thanks, Averio. Take care. Thank you. You've been listening to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show.